1: to moving iron podcast markets with sean hackett sean is with hackett financial out of boca raton florida it's nice to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace sean how you been man
3: i'm really good casey glad to be here as always
1: yeah it's a uh it's a nice cool spring day here in the pain handle of nebraska and i mean cool it's like you know 28 degrees but if you go north of me this is something i think that the uh kind of that report that came out on um when was that friday thursday friday friday when that report came out friday week? Friday. Yep. <clears throat> it was pretty well overshadowed by the fact that you know it's a planning intention report a lot of fireworks go off you know and then this is all a guess as to what actual is going to happen and what's going to be planned. but the underlying issue there i think was the the ending stocks and what that looked like and if you go north of me where that extra um part of the uh, of the corn belt starts to come into play, they still got a lot of snow on the ground. They still got a lot of field work to do, and they still have a lot of uh, soil temperatures to gain uh, higher before they get anywhere near ready to uh, start planting, Sean. So I guess as you looked at that report on Friday, what was your reaction? And then looking at some of your weather models, what's your thoughts there?
3: Yeah, it didn't really change anything. I mean, the acres, as you said, you know, everybody had their estimate and it kind of, I, I wouldn't call the acreage, really much of a of a of a shock um it still comes down to as you said weather and 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 obviously what kind of yield are we going to produce on it remember 2012 we planted a, almost a record number of corn acres and we had the worst crop in 50 years so it's not how much you plant, what you get out of each acre that you plant um grains you know the USDA giveth and taketh away I, I always feel that they're they just have a number they want to come up with and they just find a way to make the numbers work and it the perception is it came in a little lower than expected in terms of there was less old crop supplies at the end of the day i didn't see anything that changed anything what it says to me right now is that rain makes grain we've had a fairly good winter for moisture in most places other than the southern plains and it looks like some very warm weather is coming in and some drying out outside of the northern plains and we're going to get off to a really good planting season Um, in most areas outside of the Northern Plains. And the market's going to view that bearishly heading into mid-April. And that's been our forecast for quite some time. And markets are coming under renewed pressure as these new weather forecasts are coming out, showing some significant warming up, and that we're going to really get some good planting done in moisture, uh, in, in ground that has some good moisture. And so the Northern Plains are not enough to turn that dial, Casey, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't have an impact. It doesn't mean uh, for spring wheat, for example, but it's not going to turn the dial if the rest of the majority of the core grain belt is getting off to a good start. Uh, it's going to take a back seat for now. So,
1: yeah. Okay. So another underlying theme out there, I guess, when you start looking at your, your you talked about the first half of April being some, some bullish, um, Opportunities, and then you look at the back half and you see some bearish opportunities. OPEC came out last week and said, Hey, you know what? We're going to uh, cut production by a fair amount. We're going to get that price back up and we're going to keep it that way. Uh, Looking at that long term, Sean, what are your thoughts there headed into uh, planning season? I mean, I know a lot of people already have stuff pre booked for the year, but looking at some of the stuff, I've heard estimates up to 80 cents a gallon for gasoline headed into this, uh, this summer driving season. So I guess looking at the energy market, Sean, what are your thoughts there?
3: Well, there's two things. I mean, OPEC's been playing this game forever.
1: Sure. Yep.
3: Uh, they put it back on, they take it. I mean, so so th- them doing this, there's, this, is, this is old hat. I mean, we've come to expect it. And it's a desperation move on their part. The last thing OPEC wants to do is produce less oil. They're only doing it because they're desperate. You can't override economic forces of supply and demand. If the global economy is is slowing down and we're going, we got some economic numbers this week from the U S that showing shockingly accelerating economic decline. There's no way OPEC is going to override that fact. Yes. Can you get a short-term bump up in price? You can, but at the end of the day, uh, either production like real production, I don't mean, you know, them manipulating the market, but I mean, real production either has to fall low enough systemically or the demand side factor has to improve now we are going into the driving season so we know the demand for diesel and the amount of demand for uh gasoline tend to go up we've had prices very very low and we've been suggesting as you know casey that we felt this was a pretty good place to lock in some energy needs not because OPEC was going to reduce just because I, you know, the supply-demand seasonal factors would support some better prices into the summer. Um, and, and and we don't know what's really going to happen with geopolitics. What OPEC just did has nothing to do with geopolitics. It's just them playing their cartel games. I'm talking about something more seriously. Um, everyone knows the second that prices get too high, they, they'll put those, that production back on again, and, and that's that. So uh, overall, I do think energy prices, crude oil prices, Distillate prices have probably made a low, but I do think that the market's reaction to OPEC is probably overstated, and we'll probably have to do some backing and filling here in the spring because the springtime is still a pretty low demand period for energy. And um, I think the market just got a little carried away. I don't think that their production reduction is enough to permanently turn the tide in the market, but it's a step in the right direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, Sean. So you're looking at what's going on down in South America. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, parts of Brazil has got have gotten really great rain, and they're going to have a great crop. And southern parts of Brazil and into Argentina are still suffering through a pretty massive uh, drought. Looking at that area, Sean, what are your thoughts there, and how do you see that playing into um, what we see coming up here for the U.S.?
3: Remember, what moves markets, Casey, is not what we know; it's what we don't know. Uh, we know uh, uh, Argentina worst crop ever. Right? Who cares? It's done. And we traded that through the winter months. But now we're going to trade Brazil because ultimately we've traded, RJ, now we're going to trade Brazil. We already know that their soybean crop's big and they're getting rains right when they need it right now here in April. Um, And that should push them over the finish line. We can debate how big and maybe I think some of the estimates are a bit too large, but it's going to be a good crop. So we're not going to have a shortage of supply coming out of, south america despite the fact that argentina has come up short we might have a shortage of bean oil and bean meal supplies uh later in the year but remember bean meal is essentially fed to dairy cattle and to hogs and with the african swine fever running amok right now in china you know the demand for meals (laughs) is gonna be very weak um And bean oil really is predicated on this final decision here in June, where the EPA is going to make their final uh, renewable diesel mandate, which means how much of renewable diesel is going to be covered by subsidies, which without, no one makes any money. With, they make incredible money. That preliminary decision came out a few months back and was very disappointing, meaning that we did not see as much bean oil, renewable diesel mandated as the market expected and we've seen the bean oil price come under pressure as people are questioning how much of this capacity that's being built or is coming online is going to be able to produce beyond the mandates now of course they can change their mind and they can come up with a big number here in june and but but until we resolve that case in june until we get the epa to tell everyone how much are they going to cover with these big fat subsidies um the, the, you know, the, the, the bean oil situation is going to be in a flux and the bean mill demand situation, you know, is, is going to have a hard time holding up to these high prices that were driven by the drought in Argentina. We just right now struggle to see, you know, how we're going to see, you know, better prices here in April with all that going on at the moment. Now, as we move into May, we move into June. As you know, Casey, our strong forecast has been that we're going to see drought return. The United States in terms of central, uh, eastern grain belt, and it's going to take some time before that starts to get in the minds of the market and the June decision. Remember, in two thousand twelve, Casey they pounded the grain markets in spring, yeah. but they didn't really make them move up substantially until June. Right. It took until June for the market. To go, Wait a minute, we're all short. We sold into five dollar corn. We made a terrible mistake this crop short, we got to get the heck out, you know, and then we put $3 on the corn market in about 35 days. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that every, this is gonna be exactly it. what I'm saying is, is that it's going to take some time. I think April could be the low point where we maximize the bearish uh, sentiment, but it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of crawling our way out to let the weather start telling the market the wrong about a record crop here in the U S and clearly for soybeans specifically and crush rates and crush margins, we really need to get that June EPA report to clear the decks and let us know how much soybean meal needs to be made, how much crushing needs to be made. Um, and, and, and what does that mean for the soybean meal supply, which is a byproduct of producing oil from the soybeans and the, the crust. So, so right now that's kind of, you know, where we, we, we see the market and, and feel that we're entering a low point, but you know, it's going to take a little while to get the, the bears who have been piling on shorts to convince themselves that they're in the wrong side of the market, which we think they are, but you're not going to convince them right away.
1: Okay. I was going to talk to you about the, uh, your, your drought predictions here for the year, but you already covered that, Sean, you stole my thunder.
3: <laughs> well, uh, we put a report this morning, Casey, and one interesting, and you know, we always try to look at the other side, you know, look, the models keep saying, we're going to have a strong El Nino by the summer. Okay. I mean, maybe they're right. I mean, I, you know, no one's hundred percent sure about anything and maybe, maybe they're, what they're predicting really has is highly unusual, never really happened since 1850. But let's just assume that something happens that hasn't happened before. I mean, it can happen. What if they're right? So if we have a strong El Nino by the summer, what does that mean? Is our, for, is our forecast wrong? And we currently have a very negative, what's called Pacific Decadal Oscillation. We've talked about it on your show before. That's that cold ring that uh, goes around the, uh, the, the coast of California and the West Coast. Our work, by the way, it's it's remained very negative, very cold. and It's actually strengthened. Um, and it, it's our work says that we're going to ha- can maintain a negative. Normally, if you go into an Nino case, see, the Pacific decale turns warm, meaning you get warmer than normal sea surface temperatures. means you get what's called a positive PDO. That's how it normally works. We went back and said, have there been a time since eight, since 1950, when we've really had good records that we've seen? a strong El Nino in the summer with a negative PDO? Have we seen it twice in since 1950? Have we actually seen it. So it's a very unusual condition oh, yeah. if we were to see that. Teleconnections are a hot, dry central eastern grain, belt. I kid you not. I did not know that was going to be the result. I did this work over the last few days trying to just say, you know, maybe – Maybe it's going to be all kinds of rain, but it actually shows that in both those cases, 1965 and 1972, we had a hot, dry central eastern grain belt. So the reality is so long as that PDO remains in the negative phase, even if the models are correct, that we get a, um, you know, a a strong or moderate El Nino by the summer, it doesn't change the forecast, which is interesting that all the other teleconnections that we have that says, you know, hot, dry, central, east belt, if the alien doesn't arrive. I mean, every other thing says, but even if that happens, it still says that we need to be on the lookout for that. So I think that's a very interesting um, piece of research that we've just completed that, once again, kind of puts the notion that we're going to have a cool, wet s- summer and record crop, you know, uh, production and yields and all that sort of thing. It just says that that's probably not going to to happen. And we're probably going to have a really, really good worry in the least in the first half of the growing season. And it could turn into a major crop problem if the Gleisberg cycle, which we've talked about in your show yep. kicks in. So, so there you have it. So um, there's a period of four to six weeks. They call it the, um, you know, where, where the atmosphere and the sea surface temperatures go through the spring reset um, that means by the time you get to early or the, or the first part of May, the metrics set reset themselves. And so the next four to six weeks, if there's going to be any last minute changes to the atmosphere, to the sea surface temperatures, to El Nino, El Nino, it's going to be any major final, it's going to happen in this next four four weeks or so. Um, and so if we get through this next four weeks and we still maintain this negative PDO construct, whatever happens with El Nino, Lenin, you know, El Nino, El um, Nino. Then, you know then we're going to start to get much more uh, emboldened uh, to start making some stronger recommendations for livestock producers and for you know those that are on the physical buy side of these markets to take action because that will say that you know now the game is on for for this particular um, outlook to really you know to, to really be at what we call the green light moment where we have enough confidence to say let's go ahead. this is where we're heading. for so we're nothing has changed. We feel strongly where we're at. In another four weeks, we can confirm that uh, to the highest degree possible. So,
1: okay. All right. Last thing, real quick the hog market last week had a glimmer of hope, and boy, did that get snatched off from underneath them. So, looking at the hog market right now, Sean, what are your thoughts there?
3: Demand has collapsed. Let's just call it for <clears throat> what it is. The pork cutout has just been awful. You know, the ham prices have collapsed. If you just look at the, you know, they've traded actually pork cutout futures now, you know, that you actually can. Trade there's futures on it now, and so it just fell out of bed. And we've been and this is another theme, Casey. We've seen market after market after market, not just in commodities, but in other areas of the economy where demand was holding up, holding up, and then poof, it just. And we okay. got some economic numbers this week. Uh, 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 manufacturing production numbers were awful. Uh, unemployment uh, or no job openings numbers awful, and 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 it's the, it's the delayed reaction to fed monetary tightening it takes time for those things to kick in and and we just think that you know we're going to be seeing more and more of these air pockets in demand as they come along and that's what's happened to the hog market if you look at when that pork cutout collapsed that's when the u.s price just caved in now having said that we're trading at a historic record discount to eu hog prices in history we're trading at um a record discount to cattle prices we're trading at the lower 25 percentile of hog prices relative to all of the commodities. So what that's saying right now is that, that, that uh, hogs and pork are extremely cheap and that this demand air pocket we've seen is likely going to be short-lived and we're going to see some value buying by consumers who are still wanting to eat meat looking for a way, how can they do it and move their budget down as they're getting worried about losing their job and, and getting constriction of their disposable income. So while that has led to a, a thumper down, um, right over the horizon, African swine fever is causing a glut in China for now, but it's going to cause a massive shortage in all meat proteins later in the year. you got to keep your eye on the long-term, all those deferred hog contracts, we think you know are going to are going to actually start to move up first, and if you actually look at the performance, Casey, of those deferred contracts versus the nearby, they have in fact been outperforming. So I think this thesis is pretty solid, and I and I think this period in April probably puts a low in the uh, pork cutout price and, and and improves the outlook as we head into the grilling season.
1: Right on. Okay. Sean with the silver lining. I like that, Sean. <laughs> good job, buddy. Good job. Well,
3: I, I'm optimistic if, if, if there's a reason to be, you know, if, if if there's not a reason to be, I'm also, you know, that way as well. The whole idea is to make sure you give good advice mm-hmm. so farmers can bring more home in the farm, whether it's a bullish or bearish forecast.
1: Right on. So. All right, man. Good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hacker Financial. What's the best way to do that?
3: um from time to time on our website at hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisor.com, we post some interviews and some new information on our cycles we do the same thing on our um, uh, twitter page at faradex11 and you can also look at us on our linkedin page by sh- searching sean hackett or hackett financial advisors we're not a habitual poster you know like others i mean we put stuff out every once in a while but you know, do keep an eye on there because sometimes we do that, and and it will give you an update on what we're thinking. So,
1: I will say the stuff that Sean posts is it might not be very often, but it is very very uh, powerful stuff when he does put stuff out there. So, well worth your time to uh, follow Sean and check him out there on those social. Remember, links. it's not
3: quantity but quality.
1: But <laughs> I've always heard. What I've always heard. Yeah. All right, man. Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man.
3: Thanks,
1: Casey. I'd love to do it again. Sorry, buddy. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check me out over on YouTube at the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and check out the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If you're interested in signing up for that, go to the upper right hand corner, click on the Moving Iron Summit link, and uh, register there. Uh, we got a great speaker, keynote speaker coming out. We got some great breakout sessions on the second day, talking about everything that there is <clears throat> to talk about on the equipment side of the business. And you can also um, Have a good shot at doing some great networking as well. So if you're interested in that, go to the website or send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I'll be happy to give you back the information that you're looking for. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. with Sean Hackett. Let's go some iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com.